Dateline, a campus near you. Read all about it. Press releases, articles, blogs, news feeds, rankings, books, tweets, posts, podcasts. The head spins and swims in admissions, updates, news, spin, lists, commentary, gossip. So much buzz, too much info, so many opinions. I'm here to help. When the beat is loud, I'll turn down the volume. I'm Lee Coffin, Dartmouth's Dean of Admissions. Welcome to the Admission Beat, the pod for news, conversation, and advice on all things college admissions. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Admission Beat for another round of conversation with my friends Matt Hyde, the Assistant Vice President and Dean of Admission and Financial Aid at Lafayette College, and Kate Ramsdell, Director of College Counseling at Noble and Greenough School in Dedham, Massachusetts. Hello, Matt and Kate. Hey, Lee. Hi, Lee. So we were such chatterboxes last week in newsroom that we ate up an entire pod <laughs> just with our um, convincing about the headlines. So Roundtable got punted into this episode called Junior Kickoff. And I wanted to bring the three of us together for this as a way of helping high school juniors and their parents get rolling in what is the fourth college admission cycle that has been touched by the pandemic. You know, the high school class of 20 finished um, what had mostly been completed um, when COVID erupted. The class of 21 and the class of 22 had their entire uh, college search defined by these um, limitations and the guidelines required. And now the class of 23, as they begin, Maybe we're emerging, God willing, we're emerging, but we still have to think about COVID as an element of how to explore. I wanted to have a conversation with the two of you um, around the nuts and bolts. And Kate, you um, recently hosted a junior kickoff um, or for the parents of your class of 23, and I was one of your panelists. So I'm hoping I can hand the mic over to you and have Matt and I be your two panelists to have a conversation around getting started and what are the things you think juniors and their parents should be knowing now as the next college admission cycle starts to move forward. So where would, where would you wanna start? I think, let's see, we, the three of us have been doing this for a long time. And so what I'm wondering is what do you think really hasn't changed in the advice that you would give families in the last 10, 15 years? And then, you know, what is the tale of this pandemic? It, it seems to me that it is still not over. And so what's, what's changed and what continues to change? Not a lot has changed. Um, we still have the responsibility of crafting new classes of students for our respective institutions. Um, and um, there are always gonna be a, a blend of priorities that we need to manage in doing so. That hasn't changed. Um, you know, what has changed a little bit is the opportunity we have to be more accessible to students in this pandemic space, um, to purvey our vibe, to share our message, to get people excited about who we are and why they might wanna think about having our college experience on our campuses. Um, so we've had to, uh, using this overused word, we've had to pivot um, in many ways in how we engage and inspire young people. Um, but I think it, it has allowed us to be more universal in our outreach to students, which I think is a win for everybody all the way around. So there is a silver lining in this pandemic that I think has made us better, but um, there's still challenge in that space. 
I'm nodding as I listen to Matt and thinking about, you know, the pivot was purposeful. Um, I don't think any of us knew that in the spring, summer of 2020, when we were scrambling to imagine how to do our work when we were broadly on lockdown uh, before there was a vaccine and when we were hibernating really. And you know, my podcasting began in that moment when I um, wasn't able to travel and people weren't able to visit. So, you know, you had these experiments that began, you know, my podcast was an example of that, but I think broadly we all moved into a virtual recruitment platform that unexpectedly and, and powerfully expanded access. I mean, we ended up being able to contact more people, have conversations in new ways, um, the digital natives who are these high school students these days responded really well and voila, you know, we have a, a very different system than the ones that were imagined in the late 20th century that we just kept following because it, it worked and we didn't really have the moment to stop and say, why do we do it this way? So to your, the first part of your question is, Kate, like, what's the same? What's different? What's the same is, you know, it's still a conversation between a college and a student about what comes next. Um, you know, what, what is a student imagining as a course of study, as the place where she will thrive? You know, is it affordable? Um, how far away can I get from mom and dad? Um, you know, all of those pieces of the way students have been thinking about college for forever remain, we remain holistic in the way we read files. You know, we look at every student as the sum of many parts. Um, and in some ways might even be more accentuated because some of the elements are fuzzier um, than they were just a few years ago. But then the change part, you know, it's virtual. And I think, I think what's changed and what's probably most vexing for parents, maybe a bit more than students, is the process doesn't have the same predictable kind of sequencing. You know, you don't like go out in your station wagon or minivan and visit 10 places and then pick a couple and take some tests and, and you know, do the extracurriculars in a certain chronological order and have a summer program and then apply and then come back and visit again. I mean, that's become in some places impossible to do. And, um, and so that's different. I don't know that's changed so much as it's just the reality of all of our lives right now. And it, it breeds worry. And I think that's the, the animating emotion right now is just worry. It's always part of college admission, but I think it's maybe more heightened. Well, and if I can take a second here, Kate, to sort of hopefully lessen that worry and anxiety, um, because there's one thing that hasn't changed. Um, is that this whole experience of searching for and applying to college um, is still a rite of passage moment that in my mind should center around this self-celebration and this opportunity to be introspective for a young person to take a, a good hard look in the mirror and say, who am I? What's my deal? And why is it my deal? As a student, as a scholar, as an artist, as an athlete, as an activist, as any of these identities that they claim, what's up and why is it up? And that introspection, I think, um, it, it never really happened often enough. But again, perhaps another silver lining of this pandemic is the gift of time and maybe a little more space to be reflective 
Because the fact is each and every one of these young people that you have the honor of, of working with, they have a narrative, they have a story, they have a voice that's distinctly theirs. Yes, it's been shaped by a pandemic now, um, but that's not a surprise to us. It's, our narratives have been shaped by that as well. But I, I like to think that through this whole experience, you know, the idealist in me, you know, sees them gaining agency over that narrative, realizing they're shaping it each and every day with the choices that they make. So that hasn't changed. And I think, you know, every young person has the opportunity to, to sort of own the space um, and get excited about it in that way. So again, that hasn't changed. And I think that's a good thing and why I still love doing this work. I appreciate your optimism, the two of you. That's why I like spending time with you. But... Well, I call him Happy Hyde. Like he, That's Happy right. Hyde is nothing but, but optimistic always. Can I? Can I deep? Maybe I'll deepen that question a little bit. I think, um, you know, the last couple of years, I believe, have created a lot of anxieties. Right? That just seems like, and especially for teenagers, the things that they care about. A lot of those things haven't really happened in the same ways that they may have previously. And I couple that with you know, what we've all talked about before, which is this rising number of applications and, you know, sure, I have my narrative, but now I can't get in anywhere. And so I just, I, I loved what you said, Matt, about the self-reflection piece, because we really lean on that in our office and, and sometimes worry that kids and families don't spend enough time on that essential part of this process. But, you know, for, I'm always talking to kids about agency, right? Like, what can you control? What can't you control? You know, and then to be frank, on my side, it seems like there are some parts of this where kids had agency before that that's kind of slipping through our fingers. Early action used to serve the student more than it does today, I believe. Um, you know, early decision, I actually still think serves both parties in meaningful ways, um, even though sometimes families don't believe that. Uh, but what, what do you think? What are the controllables? You talked a little bit about them, but what else could you offer to, to kids and families? Yeah, I, I would start with the reality, uh, the fact even that the power throughout this whole experience largely exists with the young people and their families. You know, there are three main choices to be made in this whole experience of searching for and applying to college. Where to look and where to apply, that's with the students and the families. You know, who has opportunity to attend and be admitted, that's up to Lee and to me and, and our colleagues. And then where to enroll, that's up to the student and their family. So two of the three main choices to be made exist in the hands of these young people and their families. So there are, they are, in my mind, forever in control. It might not feel like it, especially if they are conditioned to this idea that they have to apply to a, a certain set of colleges that are massively selective. Um, but the reality is, um, if these, you know, young people in the class of 2023 if they want to go to college, they can go to college. Mm -hmm. um, they are 578 days away. Um, and it's, <laughs> um, but, you know, they just need to open up their heart and mind and have fun adventuring into this experience, not enduring a process. And that's what drives me bananas is that young people and their families feel like they need to become a product for college and endure a college process as opposed to um, have a college journey. And I think I, I refer to it as a rite of passage moment that can be celebrated. Um, so again, I, I can go in a million different directions with this, but you know, I often look to, to Lee for guidance um, and I'm curious to hear his thoughts on this. Well, I, I keep pondering this economics 101 reality where it's, it's supply and demand. And I think so much of the worry is generated by abundant, abundant demand, limited supply at a very small subset 
of high profile places. And, you know, I mean, my podcast focuses a lot on that space because I think that's where the process gets the most gummy and the people are the most worried. But Matt makes a really important point that, you know, the broad landscape remains quite open. And I think it's important to just calibrate. And I think part of what's tricky, if I were a college counselor sitting in a high school right now, uh, trying to knit together a list for the most high achieving, ambitious kiddos in my junior class, it's getting the students and their parents to digest the the supply demand proposition. You know, the, the, the great scarcity in this very limited zone and to see beyond that, and that's easier said than done, but I think that's the challenge. Um, and I see it very acutely in independent schools and suburban schools, suburban publics, um, and a lot of the international communities where there ha- there's a premium on a certain outcome. And as opposed to access to college, and to celebrate, hey, you're, you're going for a four-year degree. I mean, there's a lot of other places where that outcome is the confetti moment. Um, and, and anyway, I think, so I think that's part of the challenge right now. And, and you know, as admit rates drop, um, trying to help someone understand how to navigate that, I think that's a tricky proposition. And it doesn't, you know, I would say, or to ask Kate, you know, at this early moment of the junior year, um, selectivity feels like a, a later chapter in this book. Um, you need to explore and discover and imagine, be optimistic. Um, uh, you know, try on the different, it's like a shopping trip. Like you're trying on all sorts of different sweaters before you say, I love this one. Um, and and then once you narrow that down, then there's that more practical, strategic, okay, is this realistic? Um, I mean, a degree of realism should probably um, inform the beginning, you know? So someone, you know, saying, I'm going to Dartmouth. I mean, you can slow that train down when you say, well, my friend, that's not realistic. I mean, you can go look, but you know, you're setting yourself up for um, disappointment based on the data we have and what usually happens there later. Does that sound right, Kate? That sounds right. And I would I would say, you know, just we've talked about this in our office for years, but figuring out what those criteria are, right? Location, size, cost and aid, campus culture, um, whether or not you have a special interest that's going to define your search and doing all of those things before you get to the selectivity question. So that yeah. you've done a really good job. So you're describing the variables of the discovery period. Yes. Yeah. So how, so let's be practical for a moment. So if you're a student listening from a high school with that were Kate, someone like you is not in the building. Um, what can somebody do at home to kind of map this at the beginning? Like, how do you, if you're, if you got a pencil in your hand and you're kind of sketching out like, okay, what's my to-do list? How do I do the reflection that Matt is, advising like where did the pragmatic start here yep so i would say a couple of different things you could think about one is you know very practically speaking like what kind of learner are you you know how, how do you like to have small classes where you have lots of discussion are you somebody who could really sit 
in a lecture and, and take good notes and, and kind of manage your life that way. And, and that might lead you to a conversation about size. You know, embedded in size might also be um, what kind of program do I want? Do I want what would be called like a liberal arts education, which you can get at Dartmouth and you can get it at Lafayette where I'm studying a breadth of things and maybe it isn't until my sophomore year that I have to identify a major? Um, or do I want a place where I could get a more specialized undergraduate education in business or nursing or engineering? Um, and if that's the case, what does that look like? Um, and, and can I find that at a small school at Lafayette? You can study engineering. At Dartmouth, you can study engineering, right? But you may not be able to get an undergraduate business degree and so or nursing, right? And, and does that matter to you? Um, are you somebody who uh, is able to travel far away from home cost-wise? Or, you know, and are you up for an adventure? Are you somebody who wants to stay a little bit closer to home? Um, and for a whole host of really good reasons. Are you thinking about um, what you need to thrive in terms of a campus environment? So could I be really happy at a rural enclosed campus where more or less everything I'm gonna do is in that isolated community? Or am I somebody who really needs the vibrancy? Not that a rural community can't be vibrant, they can be very vibrant, but sort of the stimulation of a city, you know, for a whole host of different reasons. Um, you know, and we talked about costs. These are all negotiables. For some kids, the, the key driver is going to be whether or not they can afford to go. So it's not going to matter if it's big, small, urban, rural, you know, and it doesn't mean it takes choice out of the hands of kids who need aid, but sometimes in the end, that's going to be the primary reason they do choose a place. Um, and so I think, and, and just uh, more and more too, I say to kids, you know, I, I know you can be happy in a lot of different environments. And so, especially in my water that I swim in, it's really having an open mind and knowing that even if you choose a small liberal arts college, there are, you know, a couple hundred out there that are great um, where you could be really happy as opposed to five. Yeah. Well, I've heard you use the phrase non-negotiable and I've adopted that as a word I use when I'm talking to juniors is, you know, you've laid out a, a expansive list of possible criteria. And then I think step two is to look at those different elements and say, are there any non-negotiables? You know, is that, you know, I met a student years ago who was, you know, determined to find a campus with proximity to a jazz scene. I mean, something really specific, but really true to who that person was and I said, well, then that's a non-negotiable. I mean, you know, you know, because there could be a lot of wonderful colleges that you might really like, but if that is the the deal breaker, start there. And you know, if it's cost, you know, you you need a scholarship. Um, or you know, I've I've had friends who've said to their kids, I can pay for it. I choose not to. So go find a merit scholarship. Now that's a completely different kind of element that that might define you know, because I don't offer merit so like if that if that is going to be the decision point why set yourself up for disappointment x months from now if you know that a merit scholarship or the even the possibility of one is going to make the door open or close so you know I think these these non-negotiables are really important and um and some of the other priorities might change. And I often tell the story, but I wasn't dialed into um, location when I started my college search. Um, but as I started to explore, 
I came to an epiphany on my own about rural, which is my sister always tells me, how ironic, look where you live now. And I was like, <laughs> but you know, I, this was when I was 17. And, you know, I realized and root that I was more of a city person. And um, I pivoted to use Matt's word towards urban options. Once I started to come away from some of my more rural campuses and say, I don't see myself here. Other people go the other direction. You know, they get to these kind of, a, you know, Kate, you, you just raise your hand. Like, you know, you see a campus in a more wooded location, you think Nirvana, and you may not have understood that before you got there. Those are the discoveries. That's right. And sometimes I'll say to kids, just remember, it's, you know, typically four years, maybe five years of your life that you're going to spend there. And my part of my choice making was, I don't think I'm going to live in a rural environment when I'm an adult. I can live in a city for the rest of my life. So why wouldn't I have this adventure? Right. So, yeah. Well, it also depends on this fit piece too. Like, what do you want to do when you're on that campus? I mean, you know, uh, I, I look out my window and I see the remnants of a blizzard and, you know, if you are someone who, you know, are skier, or you're like outdoorsy and you want that, that almost Scandinavian winter wonderland, you know, hello. <laughs> but if that makes you run the other way, yeah. see you later. Yeah. And Kata, you know, I think it's, it's so important for the young people that you're working with to give them permission to get excited um, and to surprise themselves. Yeah. I, I fear that they feel like there's only a certain number of schools that they can get, they, they're allowed to get excited about. And um, I have a lot of fun sort of blowing, you know, people's minds about sort of how powerful and compelling, you know, Lafayette is. And sometimes they're approaching us with like, with a side eye, you know, like you weren't on my list, but someone put you on my list and I'm checking you out. And it's fun to watch them sort of like realize, wait a second, this is, this, this is it. This, this could be a wonderful fit and match for me. And, you know, to allow them to open up, to let them wrap their head and heart around us. And, you know, I think too many students are driven by the, the prestige factor and they shut themselves down to so many great opportunities that might be perfect for them. And Matt, is that when you I just wrote down side eye, do you get a side eye because of prestige? They haven't heard of you. Like what's causing them to give you that little yeah, I think skeptical look? Well, it, it depends, you know, especially a student coming from um, further afield. I mean, Lafayette has a wonderful presence and deep roots in the Northeast, um, especially for, for, you know, students who are thinking about liberal arts, engineering, division one athletics, access to two cool cities. But, you know, when someone happens upon us from Florida, from Texas, from Chicago or California, you know, they, they, they have surfaced in their, in their search and they get on the campus like, whoa, wow, look at this. And, you know, it's just that initial sort of like, my friends haven't heard about this place. Mm-hmm. Teachers haven't heard about this place, um, and and that that creates uh, a little more of a barrier for colleges that aren't as known in secondary and tertiary markets. Uh, but the minute we we sort of engage and inspire these folks, they head back to their communities, and their visit reverberates, and, and it helps yeah. create word of mouth traffic. So you know, this is where I just hope that college counselors across the land, and Kate is one of the best in the world, you know, empower these students to to sort of realize that yeah, you get to make some choices here. Um, and you're allowed to get excited and you're allowed to be surprised and surprise yourself along the way. And what's tricky about the kind of the comment, I haven't heard of it. Well, step back. How does anybody hear of anywhere? You know, like, you know, my, I had a nephew who was an athlete who was focused on, like when he was a kid, he would say, I'm going to the University of Miami. And I would say, you're 10 years old. How do you know that? And it was football. 
I mean, he was attracted to what he was seeing on ESPN. And um, as he as he got older, like he ended up not following that that idea, but he had heard of it. And and I often think about like, you know, the role of sports in setting expectations of familiarity around college identity. Um, you know, I work for a place in a league that many people see as a brand. And I, I had a conversation with a dad a couple of years ago um, who was arguing with me about what Ivy League meant. And I said, it's an athletic conference. He said, no, it's a brand. And I said, it has brand-like associations, but it's an athletic conference. And he was dumbfounded <laughs> by this concept that it was actually like the Big Ten. And I said, yeah, it's, it's a division one athletic league. Um, but that's the trap is you, you gravitate towards something you think you know. And sometimes quality and fit sits in a place that might be small, might be quieter, might not have the, you know, might not be in a city with a big media spotlight on it, but that doesn't mean you wouldn't go there and thrive. And Kate, how do you back someone up from that? Um, it's hard. It can be hard. And I think, you know, I've had the huge privilege of probably getting onto 200, 220 college campuses in this country and abroad. And so I often say to my kids at the beginning of a search, I can get excited about a lot, but a part of it is because it's more concrete for me. I can picture these places. I've walked in the buildings. I've seen the kids. I've, you know, I've been on the marketing tour uh, and they've all been great. And I, and I think hopefully the access to virtual programming might, might do something for us in that way, right? Like I, I wrote down a question for myself earlier today, which is, is the on-campus college visit dead? And I don't know, I probably never will be, but for, for more and more families, it's a huge amount of resources to get out there and get to campuses. And so now it will be curious to see how much more, you know, maybe you guys do longitudinal studies. Did somebody never set foot on our campus and yet came here? Because that'll be true of the last couple of years. And it probably always has been for certain kids, but at what percentage, right, of your community? will never have set foot on campus. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about that. Well, it Historically, opened. it was low, but I think it's, you're right, it has shifted. And, you know, I just wonder if the whole calendar of college admissions doesn't rearrange itself. You know, I mean, we, when I think about the 2018-19 cycle, which would have been the last one that was complete before the pandemic, you know, we had two in April, two, um, multi-day open houses where you know some people were flown in people would show up with their parents they stayed in the dorms it was a, a carnival for a couple of days on campus that um, invited them to take a last look uh, we were flying all around the country and to some degree the world doing admitted student programs with our alumni um, does that come back um, you know, or is, or is April the time when you do need to be in person, you know, but, you know, the idea of spending chunks of your spring, summer, fall touring, well, I think people will always need, I think there's always something important about place and actually feeling it and seeing it and smelling it. And I think, you know, as you go across the, the demographic spectrum, I think for some first-gen kids who don't have the same cultural framework, being in person is really important. I think 
um, you know, for underrepresented students who, you know, may may have to assess comfort level with place. That's really really important, and you could do that online, but it's, I think it's harder um, than when you when you can be there. But I, I I think this is the unanswered question as we kind of kind of move forward is what snaps back into place because we missed it and it was valuable what starts to snap back into place because it's what we've always done that's always an operating principle that makes me nuts but um you know i think that's some of this pandemic jitter too is we've been trying to force the 20th century system into this pandemic kind of moment the idea of control for me comes back to a lot of what we're talking about which is you know, as, as app numbers go up and kids are casting wider and wider nets um, to colleges they've either seen or haven't seen and are leaning on selectivity to build their lists. I mean, I would argue that what you really should do is have a list of like 10 schools that you know you can get into. And then you got like one or two, if you want to take a flyer, go for it. You know, but that way you don't have that panic of, I don't even know if I'm going to get in anywhere. What happens if in March I've been waitlisted and denied at every school on my list? And I worry that that's the, the territory that families that are focusing on selectivity and an outdated understanding of how hard it is to get into places are headed towards. Um, and so that's again where I say, you know, be smart, be strategic, build a small, smart list. Go for but that's at the end, right? I mean, how do you bring them back to February of their junior year? How do they begin? I, I would, I mean, I think uh, it's important. We talked about introspection, even before they have a list of colleges, it's knowing and caring for yourself in this moment. Who are you? What matters to you? And let that inform how you look at colleges. Um, and uh, lead to the point that you made, I'm hoping the in-person comes back, comes roaring back because these young people are visceral creatures. Um, they need to be in these places and spaces and see and hear the people um, in three dimensions, um, and not, not in this Zoom space. Um, so I'm hoping that comes back and comes back quick because it, it, it empowers them to gain stronger footing in knowing what they want and why they want it. Um, so I, I'm hoping that comes back relatively quickly. But I think in February, you begin with the introspection um, and that sort of taking stock of who you are and what matters to you. Mm -hmm. And then what? You've, you've, you've looked yeah, at the Yeah, then, then I looked at Kate. I, I mean, Kate has been on 250 college and university campuses. I looked at Kate, like, all right, well, I'm thinking I want sort of a, an intimate college experience, either at a college or university. I want to have breadth of opportunity and explore across disciplines and um, not a city. Go. And, and I think, you know, Kate right there is probably processing lots of colleges, but there are also a lot of resources that exist for anybody to access that way to do that. Yeah. yeah, like what are those resources? I was just going to ask you that. So Kate, where would you point someone that doesn't have a, a full-time college counselor in his high school? I mean, I think there are, the college board has big future. I think that's a good place to start. And if you've ever made an account, you have access to it. There are things like um, the Princeton Review Online that you can do a college search and put in your criteria and it can help guide you 
there's certainly books. I don't know if anybody looks at a book anymore, um, but if they wanted to look at Fisk or something like that, they could. Um, but I, you know, I, and maybe you're at a school that has something like Naviance. And if you do, there's a college search feature on that. And lots of public and independent schools use Naviance. So there are places you can go at least to start. Yeah. Um, and if you put in, you know, some information about your background and your grades and your scores, if you have them, in addition to all of these other things, it, it should get you started, yeah. you know, maybe with a list of 15 schools. And again, back to that idea of the open mind, look at schools you've never heard of, mm -hmm. you know, everybody gravitates toward the places that they know the name, but you yeah. might discover something really fun and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think that's where the the build out over the last two years on top of what we had all been doing, you know, since the early 2000s on web, social, um, you know, all these different platforms kind of come together and create different kinds of insight than were there. Definitely when I applied, it was my mailbox where everything arrived and I would read to your quip about books and that's what I did. Um, so for parents, you know, if that's what you did, you know, there's a whole ocean that has opened on this space. And that's overwhelming, but it's also a way to, to kind of I'll continue the metaphor, swim a little bit and say like, what do I see? And, you know, I like something as open-ended as I'm pre-med and, you know, so you're starting a search as a pre-med. Um, okay, go on the college website, type in pre-med or pre-health would be the other way it's often described. What do you find? Um, is there advising? Is there a course of study that's called pre-med or not? A lot of times it's no, you major in whatever you want and you apply to med school with the help of faculty advisors. Um, you know, my niece is pre-med right now at Boston College and I have enjoyed listening to her talk about the organic chemistry and cell biology and calculus courses she's taking. I think, wow. And what was interesting to me is she didn't really think about that when she was in high school. I mean, she, she was pre-med without having ever stepped back and say, well, what will the curriculum be? And in her case, she loves it, but it is, it's been eye-opening as an uncle who works at a college to, to see how her undergraduate experience on her way to medical school is so profoundly different than what I experienced as a history major <laughs> and the kind of courses I'm taking. So that's program. And that's, you know, for any parent who wants to help, you can sit on a computer and look at these websites and look at the departmental offerings and say, hey, child, are you intrigued by these courses or do they make you say, why would I want to study that? And I guess my last question is we help the junior start rolling. Um, when do they need to have some clarity, Kate? Like when does the calendar start to tap them on the shoulder and say, okay, enough wandering about, start to, start to be more definitive. When does that start? So February today, I'm saying you're, you're starting with these working hypotheses, right? That are gonna be iterative. That's what we've talked about. And you're, you're gonna discover more about yourself and more about what's out there. Um, hopefully you're gonna spend the spring doing some research that could include college visits on campuses or online. It could include doing reading and all of the things we're talking about over the summer. I think you need to really hone in on what's going to begin to be your final quote final list so that by the time you arrive in the fall of your senior year, 
you have a really good sense of what your plan is, sort of when you're, you know, begin to think about when you're going to apply, where you're going to apply. And I always say to my kids, like, let's not be reactive in December. If you don't get good news at some place you've been, you know, like do everything, plan to get everything done by the early fall because senior year is really busy. So. so discovery is a six month window is what I heard you say. It's, it takes you from February till early September. And I think for those of you who are feeling a little panicked, take a breath, Yes. take a walk, uh, go make some cookies. And just remember you have a long window here. It will move quickly. You can't just wait and procrastinate, but you don't need to make decisions today about where you're gonna be 578 days from now, as Matt so precisely put it. Uh, Kate, Matt, thanks so much for this double dip pod. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Admission Beat. Uh, for those of you listening from the search platform, come join us. Subscribe to the Admission Beat wherever you find your podcasts. And for those of you on the Admission Beat who are intrigued by this idea of the search, go subscribe. There. 24 episodes plus a couple of bonuses will take you from the beginning to the end of a search in, uh, in logical progression. And for those of you who have questions, send them to me at admissionsbeat at dartmouth.edu and we will answer them in an upcoming episode. Emily Coffin from Dartmouth College. See you next week. Thank you.